this is the Roaring Elephant podcast. And this week again, I am joined by choir boy Dave, who has been a good boy all week long, haven't you? Mm, I'm going to say yes, regardless of the actual truth. How's that? So that's potentially you lying, and even if you have been a good boy, you have now just broken it. So, damn if you do, good. damn if you don't. That being said... Works for me. <laughs> Uh, we're picking up the cultural uh, uh, company culture threads again this uh, episode. Uh, this is continuation is continuing from two weeks ago where we started discussing a article from the uh, where was it again the New York Times, which was discussing mm-hmm. something that Google has done. For more background about the article, you can yeah, just listen to the previous, previous episodes, uh, but I think it's fair to say that we've been expanding and building on top of this article quite a bit, <laughs> and yeah. we'll be continuing with that today, I guess. Indeed. Uh, so this this is the sort of the main meat of the, the article, there's the piece that we're discussing next, and just to give a quick... Um, sort of summary of the first part of this. Basically, Google kicked off a project internally to try and understand what what makes a good team. And they they sort of analyzed many of the teams within Google um, from a productivity sort of perspective and from a variety of different angles. They gathered data on all sorts of areas, you know, how the people were in touch with each other after work and to each other to be friends out of work and all sorts of things like that. And the slightly amusing thing is that after this initial sort of round of analysis, basically the researchers could find no identifiable correlation between any of the sort of standard things that they would expect to be looking at and why some teams were incredibly successful and others were not. And now I'm handing across to you. (laughs) How do I respond to this? I mean, Google, they have so many teams, they must know how this works. I mean, they're successful companies. Successful companies are built by successful people and successful teams. So how could they ever have a problem? Well, I guess the bigger well, the article, the bigger the fault. <laughs> well, it doesn't... On the one hand, it doesn't really surprise me because as exactly as the, the article mentioned um, or we mentioned at the end of our last episode, basically no one had ever actually look in, looked into this. Like They just made a bunch of blanket assumptions, which is kind of funny for a company that's supposedly so very data-driven. But anyway, um, and the some of the things that they found were really interesting. So they, they had, uh, during this analysis, they were looking at teams that even had very nearly sort of identical makeups between them. Um, some even that had overlapping memberships from one team to another, but still... You know, very different levels of of effectiveness and performance, uh, and the, this sort of then 
I feel this can then sort of pivots really into more of a um, uh, sort of a, a social research project or a psychological uh, or sociological research project because they, given that their initial sort of data set really didn't seem to show anything, they start they started basically diversifying their their knowledge and they started to hear about things like um, group norms, so the traditions, behavioural standards and uh, unwritten rules that govern how we function when we gather. And that the, this sort of comment around the these norms can be unspoken or openly acknowledged, uh, but their influence is often profound. Team members may behave in certain ways as individuals, but when they gather, the group's norms typically override individual proclivities and encourage a deference to the team. Yeah, and when you say that there hadn't been any research about this before, I, 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 I will, no, I, no, I don't Google. believe that. I've been doing team building exercises and retreats and stuff like that since forever. And those have always been based on very sound, well-researched, uh, gobbledygook, I guess, because apparently none of that stuff really mattered. Because I can't imagine that a company like Google, who even uh, when they started out was a very friendly company, that a lot of team building. I know their campus; it's a great place to to live and work. It used to own it used to be owned by one of my previous employers. I mean, they've done all this stuff as well, but apparently, and again, coming back to those group norms, that stuff that Google didn't invent, that stuff that they found in psychology and sociology texts that already existed. So there was a lot of stuff already done and happening, but apparently it was all wrong, or at least it didn't work. And I mean, why have been doing this for 50 years now, and even longer than that, I'm assuming, these team building exercises if there wasn't really any proof that they actually worked and maybe uh, playing jeopardy and uh, giving the answer in the form of a question <laughs> have you how do you experience these team building exercises are they good bad or oh we'll do it and we'll we'll see uh i think i would say probably at least 80% of the time it's, oh God, oh well, I guess we better get on with it. Oh, unfortunately. Yeah. For, um, for me, it's the inverse. A good team building exercise happens when the team is a good team. And, but it does work well, the other way around. Yeah, yes, but I also, like, I've been and I've built like great teams that have had poorly executed team building exercises because some bright spark thought that something was a particularly good team building exercise. And like that just because someone thinks something is a good team building exercise doesn't mean it actually is. So I like, it's not quite that. So no, I was more talking about the fun factor, even if it's a horrible thing, if it's a good team, They'll have a good time because they're a good team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, whether yeah, or not it's going to have, have any any benefit from it, well, yeah, you had fun yeah, yeah, with yeah. the group. That's a net benefit. 
But if you're not a good team yet, and you get one of those, let's build a bridge out of matchsticks, oh God, or even worse, toilet paper, that that becomes competitive, irritative, irritant. It's, it's not a good time. <laughs> a whole kind of uh, how far can you throw an egg, which is, uh, and you've got like, Toilet paper and uh, and plastic. Well, it used to be plastic straws. Presumably, yeah. it's paper straws now when when they're doing it. Anyway, it's yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, I agree, I agree. But the, this to to sort of loop back to the the points in the articles, they so the, as you said, like the um, psychology and sociology of things, like this this concept of group norms is actually very. Well, not very well, but well understood. The terms are well known and well understood. So the project uh, Aristotle uh, at Google really then focused on um, trying to understand which of these um, group norms really mattered the most. And also, I'm guessing, counterpoint to that, understanding which of these group norms actually mattered the least and I, I think there were some sort of some surprises in some of this so the in terms of the the sort of the norms that were most impactful it basically boils down to again something that you would think is probably common sense but turns out I guess isn't and it's that Researchers concluded that the the thing that differentiated quote unquote good teams Effective from teams. yeah but they do actually use the word good in like. quotes <laughs> which I also don't like but anyway so from good teams from the dysfunctional group so I would so could you say functional versus dysfunctional anyway but the the comment was basically how teammates. Uh, treated each other and the, all of the norms that focus towards um, teammates treating each other well and equally and giving people chances to talk and taking their feedback and like all of those cultural norms like those stacked up to make good teams effective and where those weren't present or where they were less present, those teams were less effective. Yeah, but also what was a good norm for team one wasn't necessarily a good norm for team two. Because the whole mm. thing about how teammates treated each other, it doesn't say teams where teammates treated each other good or well or cooperative or not cooperative. No, it's about how the teammates treat one another. And there is no good or bad there. And that, that's also something they, they found, that there wasn't a formulaic, this is what you do, these 10 rules, and you'll have a good team. No, it's about how the group interacts and how the group uses the norms or the good or the bad norms to make the group effective or not. And that makes it all harder again. Because, uh, I mean, I'm not, not sure if you mind if you jump to the, the actual the conclusion they had at the end. Because mm. the first one I like a lot. It's one that I hadn't thought of myself, to be honest. And I was kind of disappointed in that, to be honest. 
because the first norm that they found is that um, the equality in distribution of conversational turn-taking. It's a wonderful phrase, but basically means <laughs> that in teams where each team member spoke about the same amount of time, that's a good thing. And that actually, I don't know, surprises me because in a typical team, you kind of expect a team leader that does most of the talking, the questioning, the guiding, the whatevering, and then the rest of the contributing parties. That, I think, has long been the typical team structure. And this was indicate that that is a bad way of doing things because you shouldn't have a leader, or if you have a leader, it should not manifest itself as, um, I guess this thing about good or bad moderation. Sometimes you see yep. interviews and the moderator isn't moderating. He's part of the conversation. And that then, putting all together, would make for a bad interview. And it usually does, because then you get things like grandstanding popping up, I guess. While if a moderator is indeed more of a, I, I stay back, I, I do things when I need to do something, stay back again, you get a much more enjoyable interview happening, I guess. I mean, it's something that we also struggle ourselves with from time to time when we have guests on the show. It's been a while, COVID, but it's also something we have to be careful for when you do a podcast with a guest. When do you kind of reach back in and grab the conversation to steer it back on course or meander further on or whatever? And yeah, or ask a question or clarification or interrupt like I just did. Which I, which I hate you for because I've been talking for 10 minutes. <laughs> Your 10 minutes starts in five, okay? <laughs> but it, your, your comment around the, the, the moderator, like I would say the moderator can absolutely be part of the conversation as long as they don't take over the conversation, as long as they remember that their, their role is also to moderate and is also to make sure that they engage others in the conversation. Like the, the number of times that, especially as teams get larger, you, you have to, I think, solicit input from people because in many cases, as, as teams get larger, the, there is no easy natural pause for everybody to always get their thoughts in. So I think the role of the the moderator or manager or leader or whatever it is, like, is also part of making sure that everybody is engaged. I think the there's also a difference between um, thinking about maybe structured meetings versus the the sort of equality of distribution of conversational turn-taking, to use that wonderful phrase again, across the course of, say, a day. And it, it's it's difficult in to think how this applies in, certainly in, in my world, I'm, I'm, I'm fully remote, my entire organization is fully remote, and so this, this concept of equality and distribution of conversational turn-taking, to use that phrase again, because I just can't help myself, <laughs> it leads more towards 
you know, how people are communicating on Slack, for example, or how many people, you know, okay. pop up individual, uh, individual um, sort of, hey, could someone help me pop on a, hop on a, a Zoom session here? We've got kind of a problem I'm trying to figure out and a couple of people hop on and, you know, that particular group has a conversation and drops out and maybe shares the results and 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 sort of it, it's google specifically has long believed everyone should be on site all the time all googlers need to be i don't seem they're called googlers who knows um uh you know they have giant swanky offices with you know all sorts of amenities for their employees now obviously they've had to change things drastically um through the the, the pandemic and we'll have to see, you know, how things transition post-pandemic. But I wonder about how you would measure this equality and distribution of conversational turn-taking <laughs> in our our current sort of uh, world of things. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one because I already had in my head you shouldn't do this for every meeting. Like there's 10 people here, we get 100 minutes, everybody gets 10 minutes. Number one, go. Yeah. Number two, go. That's not how it works. Indeed, I was seeing it over the course of the project and in my head I had mm. the multiple meetings that will happen for this project. But you're right, especially now with the distributed nature of working, it's the whole interaction of the group not just the meetings in the group does, but the slacks, the email, the, the telephone conversations, the Skypes, the, 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 the teams, the, the, the slacks, the, what a, all that thing grouped together. And actually mm. this makes me second guess something I said in the previous episode where I had this mm. concept of every team should have, the, the, when we're talking about the hierarchy of who's looking after who, we had a project mm. leader and then the person manager, which is not really in the team itself, but kind of fed the warm bodies to the team, let's call it that. Now, if this is also something you need to keep in uh, keep in mind, stop, stop smiling. <laughs> That's what managers do. They take hot bodies and feed them into teams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Just like the project is a meat grinder and you're just hurling bodies at it. Yeah, Making lovely. sausage, breaks some eggs. But uh, God, what was I going to say now? Um, oh, yeah. It's probably so, for the best. Um, to get this to work correctly, you kind of need somebody in the team that is keeping an eye out for both the lone wolves you talked about last time to make sure they mm. rejoin the pack. It keeps an eye out for the introverts who maybe don't ask questions, don't interact and have a risk of falling off. And that's something that's not part of a project manager's or project leader's part because he he she should just be looking at the end result of the project itself more short term so should every team have kind of an I call it an hr representative but then hr in the way it's supposed to be and not how it often is somebody who just looks at the well-being of the team and team members to make sure this all works well and if that's the case how far overboard am i going with this so I, I do think that that is the role of the of the leader of that particular team. I do think that that. Um, it, so you mentioned, for example, the um, what was it? You mentioned the 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 introverts and making sure that they you know they get their input and their feedback, and the 
which was the other lone oh, the lone the lone wolves and bringing them back into the pack. And you've also got like the extra extroverts and people that like to talk and people that can't stop talking. Mm -hmm. People yeah, like myself. Give examples. And making sure that you're all I'm also sort of reigning. I know you are, <laughs> and trying to rein those people in a bit. And so, like, I I do think that's the role of the leader slash people manager slash. Yeah, but that's, the people manager wasn't in the team, right? Last time I said people manager have given the warm bodies, but now the project manager, the the the, the, the guy yeah, that's, I, I, that's I don't conflicting think that's interest. The case, though. Is the, is that the yeah. case? Because typically, if you have a team that needs to build something, then the team leader will get uh, scored on whether or not he achieves that objective, and not on how well of how how much fun the team had. But yeah. but. What we're talking about is that equality and distribution of conversational turn taking <laughs> is one of the behaviors that quote unquote good or highly productive teams share. So surely it's in the interest of the mm -hmm. the yeah. leader of that team to ensure this is happening because chances are that if equality and distribution of conversational turn-taking is happening, then that team will be more successful and therefore that person will, as you say, get scored higher. So I don't think it is a, uh, a, a misalignment or a... Um, it's not exclusive. It, no, no, it's not. You're right. But it's yeah. they're broadly aligned. But do you think most team leaders actually realize this? Uh, no, I would definitely say that they don't. I positive that yeah. uh, the percentage of people that actually think about this so maybe maybe coming wind that back a little bit that's probably a little hard i would say people probably aren't aware of it on a um conscious level what's the word i'm looking for yeah on a conscious level perhaps i think good managers are aware of it on a subconscious level, I nearly said unconscious level, that's very different. Um, but I think they're aware of it on a subconscious level because you often, you know, you will often see good managers, um, if someone hasn't spoken up, like they will often kind of interject and ask that person what they think or what their thoughts are. And like I, thinking about how I run things, I had a, a call yesterday, for example, with uh, an organization that we're working with and you know, we're wrapping things up and and sort of uh, concluding the the particular project and you know we'd, we'd spoken to the the particular you know champion and technical lead on the project who was all very you know, glowing about things we'd spoken to a couple of other people on the the prospect side the customer side that had certain amounts of feedback and there was one person on the on on their side who I know had been working very closely with some of the uh, technical folks on our side but hadn't actually spoken up so I took the chance to ask that person for for you know their feedback and framed that you know their their contributions during this had been you know really well received and they'd done a lot of great work so you know really interested to hear what they have to say so I despite the fact that equality and distribution of conversational turn-taking is not a phrase that I've used before this episode, um, I think it is something that good leaders and managers are aware of at the very least subconsciously. But I don't 
think there's probably enough focus on it consciously. I think the, the, the thing that's lacking is that when a team leader is being selected, his aptitude for this probably doesn't come up at all. It's pure luck if you got yeah. one that has this affinity or or not. And that's something I guess that needs to change. Because basically yeah. the equality and distribution of conversational turn-taking <laughs> is actually very easy and simple to monitor. It's a very easy pulse. If, if exactly it, yeah. it does work the way it works, yeah. it's relatively easy to just, okay, everybody's communicating correctly, so. How, so here's here's a question for you. How many times have you been on an on an interview where like there's an interview panel, mm. and uh, you don't like either either you if you are the candidate or the candidate if you are on the panel doesn't attempt to engage with everybody on that uh, on that panel. How often do you see that happen? Uh, but it's harder now, of course, because a lot of these panels are happening through uh, Zoom or Teams and stuff like that, and you don't know where the person is talking to. I know that when I'm on, uh, the, when I'm the candidate for a job interview or just to be part of a team or something like that, I mm. do try to make sure. But that's just something I'll learn because I'm old and I've learned, I've gone to a couple of sales trainings to make sure to mention the name of every person at least twice. Yeah, and not mention name, but actually saying Dave, the, just really yeah. pointing some part of the conversation towards each person at least twice, and that's just because something I, I've been trained to do that. But it yeah. works; it's important. But but how? So how many people? Like you're right. That's an old kind of grey-haired, been in this a long time, done a lot of sales training, kind of thing. But I, I still see today very senior people running through these kind of experiences and them failing yeah. on that regularly. Yeah. It's just, it's another common sense, not very common kind of thing. Uh, it's common sense that they fail actually because a lot of people start engagements like that with the position, I need to prove something here. So let's find the person that, in my opinion, has the biggest vote and make sure he believes me, he or she believes me, excuse me. Mm. I rarely go into meetings or engagements like that. And, okay, this is going to sound very fluffy, plants and animals, whatever. But whenever I go into any kind of, and that's something I've learned over time, I go in the meeting in the hopes of coming out of the meeting having learned something. Yeah. And maybe I'll learn something in the way. Maybe I've learned I can't do this. Maybe I've learned I did this badly. But that's what I try to make myself have as a mindset before I enter any kind of potentially conflicting where you have to, there's an adversarial kind of thing happening, which mm. basically is what a panel is. And just having that little mindset tweak makes it easier to kind of not take a step back, but basically have a, a, a more holistic view of the things happening in that meeting. And I think I can say that my career has been quite successful. I mean, I'm happy. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it does work well.
and I've been doing this for yeah decades. I mean, this is not yeah. epiphany from the last five years. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to talk yeah, about yeah. it like this. This is something that I found works, and also it's very total sidetrack here. I mean, if you're nervous to go on stage and talk to a group of people, which by the way I'm an introvert, I hate doing this. But again, by learning how to know yourself and just having this same mindset thing, I'm not trying to do a podcast here that's going to rule all podcasts. Now I want to figure out how much I can do this, how yeah. natural it can be, how about topics I've never heard about, learn stuff. And that makes yeah. the jitters, the butterflies also a lot less because you're not putting yourself up to fail. Because the moment you put yourself up to prove something, you put yourself up to fail. Don't do that. Just, yeah. 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 Have fun within measures. <laughs> yeah, I did this whole point. This whole point around like there's a, uh, I think there's a very, um, what's the, what's the, there's there's the, the phrase like growth mindset, which <laughs> I find a hot. I, I I hate that particular phrase. I love but, the idea behind it. I exactly. I love the idea behind it, and it's that. I know it's a, it's a bit of a cliche when, you know, I was X hours old when I learned something like people post on, you know, on Slack, like when they learn something new that surprised them, that may, maybe it's something they should have known, maybe not, but like, I, that's one of those things or something that I often say is when you learn something new every day, because literally I learn so much every day there are so many things many of them are things that maybe i'd forgotten but that's you know old person problems uh, but but in in a lot of cases it's it can just be tiny little you know maybe it's as you said that like you go into a meeting and you come out of it and maybe you learn something about yourself maybe you learn something about technology maybe you just learn something about another person or another set of people but you're still learning, you're still evolving, you're still kind of, um, you You need to focus on the positive outcome from these kind of uh, interactions. Yeah, for yeah. me, I mean, there's the great philosophical, we're really going on a tangent here, but the philosophical question, yeah. what's life all about? Why are we here? If it's not to grow and not the physical uh, growth. I think we're, we're definitely here to do a podcast, definitely. I only do this podcast so I can learn stuff. <laughs> to overcome my well, inhibitions for, from the introvert that I am. To, to learn about topics I haven't had time to invest time into. To talk about corporate culture for... I... <laughs> I yeah, okay. That, that, this is a really good point because like when we started this, I, it was literally a company exploded on the internet that was very well thought of for their company culture. And we're like, oh, that's a bit odd. I think we could probably talk about that. And here we are many hours later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Many hours later. And this is one of those topics that I think is the, there's a, what the founder of Grafana Labs, Raj, uh, often talks about the fact that when you're talking about company culture, like if you're trying to put it in a slide deck, like you're kind of missing the point and yet you how else you know how else do you start a conversation about culture you need some points that you can talk about and all that sort of thing but like trying to constrain culture into a set of slides or whatever it might be 
is a particularly like weird set of conversations. So like we, we probably to our listeners, maybe we appear to be meandering all over the place with this kind of conversation, you know, from, especially from where we started, but the, the, the sort of the level of importance this has, you know, I would, I would pick a great culture. Like if you could, if you could, um, know that the the next company you were going to or the you know that sort of thing you know had the most amazing company culture i i would pick that company over others 10 out of 10 times yeah. and it it's it's so important i mean i said before I, I work because i need to earn money so i can eat and sleep and have a roof over my head but i work where i work because i like the company i work for and mm. that's why whenever I go for a new job, and it's also something I've done since forever, the first, I either have a, 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 I usually, I want to visit the company first, just to visit, walk around the floor, look around. Now, this is not always possible. Mm. Sometimes you have to go to the interview first, and if that is successful, and they say, they call you back, and, oh, we want to go through with this. Then I kind of, well, demand is a big word. You don't want to demand things, but I suggest that I, it would be beneficial for both parties if I could just walk around, not everywhere, some things I shouldn't see, fine, but just be able to sit in the cafeteria for, for a couple of hours and see how people mingle, how people walk around, what the tones is, how loud the environment is, and not loud in decibels, but loud in opposing, in, in, in the cock uh, behavior, cock or cockerel behavioral, things like that. And that's something that by no means is a, 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 a always successful thing, but it gives you a, gives me usually a good idea if this is going to be something I want to be a part of. I was going to say a good fit mm. for me, but that's not right because I'm not looking for companies that are a good fit for me. I'm looking for companies where I can grow. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, We've talked a lot about the equality and distribution of conversational turn taking, uh, but there is actually a second behaviour. Believe yeah, but that's it or that's a harder that, one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 not as fun to say either. But so the the two behaviours that all good teams generally shared were equality and distribution of conversational turn taking, and uh, average uh, high. How how can you have a high? Okay, anyway, high. Average social sensitivity. Surely that should be high. I suppose. Yeah. Okay, an average anyway. social sensitivity and a high average social sensitivity is good. Yeah. Anyway, so this is the. No drugs um, this is the uh, the skill at intuiting how others feel based on the tone of their voice, their expressions, their nonverbal cues, and things like that. And it's again, this is one of those things that obviously makes sense but how often do you think that this is tested um tested in a way that it tests the team in to the point that it breaks up or tested that let's make sure we put together a team where everybody has a high average social sensitivity either both um i think more than the equality in this <laughs> 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 
the social sensitivity is high apart because I think then when people, and I think actually this might be too important today because this actually means let's take a group of people that I know can interact correctly, interact well together and put them in the team because they like each other. And that's not what this is saying. This is saying that you have to have empathy. And yeah. I believe, and I won't be convinced of any of the uh, of the opposite, that especially in the tech world, that's a tough one. Because we're kind of filled with people in most layers of technical, mm. mathematical-minded, and strategy-driven, yep. algorithm-driven people, where empathy has been at least if I look at my past, a much smaller part of my formal and informal training and education. I mean, I went to school to learn Latin to train my memory capacity. I didn't learn Latin to become better friends with Dave. I'm trying to think of a Latin phrase <laughs> I could use in response and I can't think of it. Oh dear, never mind. Um, <laughs> so... Oh, what's the what was the phrase used in Monty Python? Uh, the, the life of Brian, scrawled on the wall, and the, the Roman centurion corrects the. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so, what are, I, I was thinking about this this concept of um, high average social social sensitivity. So it's far less fun to say than equality in distribution <laughs> of conversational turn taking, and I was thinking about how this how this is slash could be tested and i i think as i'm i'm thinking about sort of you know interview panels and things like this and having people and especially in today when at the moment certainly at least in in europe uh, still most things are still done virtually still done on zoom Still done with a, a variety of cameras. Hopefully, cameras on uh, and and some sort of uh, you know Zoom or Google Meet or whatever uh, Teams, um, Skype for business. If you hate your life, um, and the number of people that don't seem to actually be able to uh, derive have the same kind of empathy or social sensitivity through the the sort of the zoom video conferencing experience um you know for a lot of people this might have been something that is still relatively new to them so they're still trying to develop it maybe they would be better at it uh, if face to face but I think there are a lot of people that still struggle with this in a virtual environment. They struggle to pick up those nonverbal cues because there's so much going on. If you're in a, let's say you're an interview and you're presenting something. So you've got probably your presentation on your screen. Maybe you've got your notes on your screen. You've probably, hopefully got the video portraits of the interviewee panels on the screen but it's probably quite quite compressed if you've only got a limited amount of screen real estate um, so it's much much harder to demonstrate this sort of social sensitivity or 
uh, empathy in this kind of environment. Agree? Disagree? Um, somewhat, but it's not for me about whether or not you can have the uh, high average social sensitivity and empathy re required for that, but if you do something with it. Um, mm -hmm. I think an effect of the pandemic with the whole teleconferencing thing now being the norm is that people don't care. I sh uh, This stuff doesn't interest me. I shut off my camera and people are rude on online. Just like email is a bad way to communicate if it has a charged, is there something mm, charged yeah. in there? It's emoticons can help. It's still not there because we're missing the pot language. Missing, and a lot mm. of people think because this is a video conferencing thing, I don't have to be nice. This is something functional, purely factual, and the niceties shouldn't matter. And when you said the thing about uh, you have the presentation and the little icons there, everybody who is doing anything with remote working today and hasn't bought a second monitor for his environment, <laughs> you, dear person, are a fill in. Well, yourself. you're missing. You're missing out. Yes, you are missing out severely. I mean, yeah. that's just something you're you're penalizing yourself with. If you're in a sales role and you can't see the person you're selling to because your presentation is covering everything, and a couple of salespersons I know actually have this problem, yep. that's moronic. Yes. You're, again, setting yourself up to fail. Don't do that. Yeah. Monitors like aren't the, that expensive. Your, your, your slides are the least important thing. Yeah. Like your notes, probably if you need notes, then that's important. So you don't get lost or confused or whatever. But being able to see who you're talking to, you know, there's a there's a reason why I have my screens laid out in a particular way. I have two monitors in front of me that allow me to dis display a variety of supporting information. But I have a, a large screen that, for those of you on YouTube, I'm, it now looks like I'm praying to you. Um, like that's directly ahead of me on the wall and the camera is above that. And that's where I put anything that, you know, if, if it's notes, then that's where I'd put that. And I would put the faces somewhere, you know, somewhere in that same area. There's plenty of screen real estate so I can make sure that I'm engaging with the people. Like the this concept of making sure and it's very very difficult for people who are just looking at maybe just they just have a laptop but like keeping your eye in the same sort of area you got all your eye line in the same sort of area as the camera is an incredibly effective way to make sure that you are connecting with someone yeah. and it's but it's very difficult if you don't have that correct setup and it's it's something that I I think is barely ever actually kind of talked about in a lot of in a lot of places unless you unless you go into sort of the the world of professional sort of YouTubers and Twitch streamers and stuff like that because they are taught you know, well, maybe not taught no, is, the successful ones know they, how to do it yeah yeah exactly like they they know that if you are directly engaging with people if you're looking at you know, they feel that you're looking at them then uh, it, it, they're far more far more engaging and it it's not something that I think we 
particularly talk about? Um, no, because people do it badly. You disconnect mm. and you don't communicate with them. And people do it correctly. You don't have to connect with them on that part because they're doing it already correctly. I mean, and yeah. sometimes it's very hard to do. I mean, you're talking about slides, reasonably easy to have the slides on the side. But if you're doing a demo, for instance, yeah. I need to be looking at the screen. That's where I'm doing the demo because yeah. I need to click on stuff. And that's why I've got a setup that my demo screen actually is over there. So when I'm clicking with something, I know I'm not looking at the people that are looking at my demo. So I've trained myself, and I'm going to turn back so I can talk to the microphone again, that from time to time, I have to, everything okay, blah, blah, to get that interaction. And for me, I'm not sure if it works successfully or not, but I never had a bad reaction to it. But because I can't have continuous eye contact, because I'm looking at that screen, by making a mm. very visible conscious decision connecting to realign yourself yeah go back for me it makes me remember to do it that's one and secondly mm. it makes it more impactful because oh you're looking at me now and i think yeah. it works well my demos usually go pretty well let's call it that way um so i think that's actually one way of doing it even if you have to have your focus somewhere else because you're actually doing something yeah. you know, actively and working that again going on a tangent here again um. Well, yeah, <laughs> probably. Well, definitely. But the, the so the the final final sort of comment here, uh, and we we've now reached the about roughly a third of the way through um, the uh, the the article. But the really the the way this winds up is the concept of um, psychological safety was what they sort of landed on as being the key part of what made teams successful. And we'll talk more about psychological safety in the next episode. Especially how I disagree with their conclusions. <laughs> well, with that, that is all the time we have for today. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Every contribution helps. We're on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell. You can do all the YouTube things. You can even comment and we read the comments because we don't have that many of them. So they really do stand out. Please go to www.royalelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about this podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Elephant tag and you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Psychologically Sound Dave. And my name is, I'm talking slowly because I feel I did not get the equality in distribution of conversational turn-taking this time. Yon. <laughs> and we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.